and welcome everyone to the Levin Podcast. Don't ask me the episode, but that's okay. Today we're going to be talking about infant mortality and the research that the Levin College has done on infant mortality. And I want to first start with a big hello to my always co-host, Molly. Molly, how are you doing? I'm good. I hope you are too. I'm doing great. Do you want to introduce you? In case this is people's first time listening, go ahead and introduce yourself because this might be someone's first time. I'm Kristen Blazik, coordinator of student recruitment for the College of Urban Affairs. I'm Molly Schnoak, and I work in the Center for Community Planning and Development at the college. And today our guest speaker has my same name. So I'm gonna really like this one is Kristen. Kristen, do you wanna introduce yourself? Uh, sure, um, I'm Kristen Farmer, um, founder of Birth and Beautiful communities, um, and also principal strategist of Strategize Me. Awesome. First, I want to start with, how's your day going? I never ask our people that, and I really should. How is your day going? My day is going pretty well. Uh, the kids started back in-person school this week, so it's a really wonky schedule, so I'm I'm actually waiting for my 13-year-old to get home since they're only doing two and a half hours of school a day. Um, and yeah, it's been good. Interesting, but good. For everyone listening, I also want to mention that we are still doing remote. So if you're watching, you can see that we are not in person doing this recording. We are remote and we're doing this with complete COVID safety restrictions and all that fun stuff. So um, for anyone who's just listening, because there are people who are just listening. All right. So I want to talk about infant mortality today and I want to talk about your research, but let's start with one, how you got affiliated with the Levin College, what you did for the Levin College, how long that was, all that fun stuff. Um, so I became a uh, senior fellow um, a little over a year ago when we started to um, work on a project called Survive and Thrive. Um, so it was a partnership between Birth and Beautiful Communities, the Levin College, the School of Nursing, um, and Strategize Me, and also the School of Social Work too at uh, CSU. So we wanted to look at infant mortality, not just from a mother's perspective, but also from the father's perspective, because we often leave the fathers out of the conversation of infant mortality. And uh, with the um, end goal to create two apps, one that would digitize the model that I created that Birth and Beautiful Communities uses for outcomes, and then also creating an economic infrastructure for African-American entrepreneurs, particularly with a focus on men um, who um, a lot of times have limited income or limited capacity to support themselves and their families. And so uh, doing that project and writing that grant proposal is how I became affiliated with the Levin College. So um, you, you talked about the project, but I'd like to back up a little bit and talk about Birthing Beautiful Communities and how that got started and um, why that's such an important issue in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County more broadly. 
So in 2014, I was practicing as a volunteer birth doula um, just because I just had a passion for birth. And years ago, when I was around 16, I uh, knew or at least I wanted to be a midwife and I wanted to have a birthing center. Um, and that stems from like watching this reality show of this midwife who was um, practicing in a birthing center and it was unlike what I had seen before in hospitals. Generally, when you see a birth play out on TV in a hospital setting, it's like this really crazy scene and everybody is running around and the dad is passing out. And, you know, it's just like a lot of just commotion. But at this birthing center, it was so calm. The birthing experience and process was so calm. You know, the midwives would work with the families on, you know, different common techniques. The women were giving birth in um, pools. And I mean, of course, there was some pain associated with the labor, but it wasn't like this crazy scene of what I've always thought birth to be. And I just sort of fell in love with that concept. Um, and so um, I ended up not becoming a midwife. Um, I, I graduated uh, from Kent State University, um, but it always came back to me and it never left. So by 2014, I was practicing as a birth doula, um, just out of my love of wanting to support uh, women in the community. And I had two clients in particular that sort of, um, sort of gave me, you know, the motivation to create um, a sort of larger network of African-American doulas, which a doula uh, sort of the definition, as they say, is a woman who serves. Typically, a doula um, is present at the labor and delivery and helps to provide emotional support to the woman or to the family during birth and then after birth, which is then called a postpartum doula. Um, so anyway, um, the two clients that I was seeing, I was seeing at the time, they were two young ladies and they were experiencing a lot of hardships. And so I thought to myself that, you know, just being a birth doula wasn't enough, that the women needed support way before they got into the labor and delivery room, because it wasn't good enough for me to just show up in the labor and delivery room and say, hey, let's get this baby out, right? And then just, you know, see you a couple more times and go by my way. But what I really realized was that the women were really suffering from a lot of generational trauma um, and they didn't really have a resource or outlet, you know, uh, so that other women could wrap their arms around them, you know, and, and actually help to guide them. And so it was about infant mortality indirectly um, in a sense that I realized that I was sure that a lot of the stressors that the women were under had a lot to do with why Black women were having premature births. We later confirmed that in research. Um, but, you know, at the time, just being an African-American woman myself, me having my first child, uh, my third year of college, not being able to find a doula, certainly not being able to find an African-American doula, um, all of these sort of things play into me wanting to create a organization um, that would provide support for women from the time they find out they're pregnant um, until their baby is at least a year old. We have um, pretty well documented 
problem with infant mortality in Cuyahoga County, um, not just comparative to the state, but nationally. Um, how does Birthing Beautiful Communities look to um, address that issue for the community? What are the, you, you mentioned um, a broader set of services to women. Um, you talked about um, economic outcomes, including for fathers. So what are the types of programming that Birthing Beautiful Communities and Strategize Me provides in places that have um, been underserved and in many cases misserved for, for so long? So Birthing Beautiful Communities is the grassroots on the ground in the community service provider organization. So the organization trains more women to become doulas or what we call them perinatal support professionals um, who are then assigned to clients that come through the organization as an agency pretty much. Um, the agency or the organization BBC raises funds to be able to pay the perinatal support professionals to provide services up to 80 weeks. So that's from very early pregnancy, that's actually attending the labor and delivery, and that's being with the parents until the baby is at least a year old. So in that time, there's a lot of hands-on activity that we do, well, minus COVID-19 times, because now everything is virtual. Um, but we host two to three classes per week. Um, we typically go to all of the prenatal appointments. We have lactation consultants um, and specialists on staff um, that is helping African-American women to uh, breastfeed because African-American women have the lowest breastfeeding rate in the country. And certainly in Ohio, that number has pretty much stayed stagnant for some years around 64.3% whereas the national average is 83%. Um, and those classes that we provide for the clients has everything to do with the African-American experience. So I haven't shied away at all at saying that, you know, this, is, this issue around infant mortality is not an issue for everyone. It's an issue that is affecting African-American women and babies. If we were to remove African-American people from that data count or set, then the state of Ohio would have a better rate than the entire country. So it is African-American babies that are driving the numbers in Cuyahoga County that is then driving the numbers in the state of Ohio that has consistently left the state at one of the worst states in the country for infant mortality. So everything that I do, I should say, has everything to do with the African-American experience and how uh, we show up in this country or in this state. What is available to us? What do we have access to? What is it that we need to do? Because you can judge a community's health by the health of its infants because they are a vulnerable population. So if the infants aren't doing well, then the community is not doing well. That's basically saying that the African-American community is dying because our babies are dying. And so we have to look beyond that, which is what Strategize Me does. Strategize Me then looks at the larger picture to say in what industries and in what sectors and in what laws 
um, and, and, and what um, sort of uh, systems in our society need to either change or need to be newly constructed um, that supports the African-American experience um, because the systems, we have a history here in this country, um, these systems that we continue to use today were created long before African-Americans were even considered to be human in this country. And so there is, uh, th that reality is baked in every facet of our everyday, our daily lives. And so there's a lot of stress that is associated with African-Americans having to interface with systems that were never created for them in the first place. And that's what creates this hotbed of stress for families. And that, of course, without us being naive, especially with a pregnant woman, we have to understand that whatever that African-American pregnant woman is experiencing, her child is also experiencing that in utero. And so that then links to uterine constriction, right? African-American women have um, babies that have a lower birth weight than any other ethnicity. Um, that uterine constrictions or restrictions can also lead to prematurity, which African-American women have high rates of prematurity. And in fact, prematurity is the leading cause of infant mortality in Cuyahoga County. And so there are all of these factors that lead to poor birth outcomes. So the justice system, the education system, the um, hospital or medical system, um, all of these things have everything to do with how likely an African-American woman will make it to full term and then how likely that baby is, is to survive after they have been uh, born. So besides the doula, right, we have all these systems that need to change. What are the next steps? So I, I love the idea of the doula. I love that. Are, and also, are you going into the hospitals and being the doula in the hospital? Are you being well-received in hospitals? I know with COVID, you probably can't, but pre-COVID, how, how are you being received by the medical community? Um, the medical community has, in general, have, has been pretty uh, receptive to um, birth and beautiful communities. There have been very minor incidents, and we are in two counties, we're in Cuyahoga County and Summit County. There have been minor incidences over the years, you know, but um, we have always been able to sort of work through and push past um, those, you know, small barriers. You know, we are third party, which is important. I always say, because hospitals ask, and they have tried to hire doulas themselves, and I always advise against that because the doula should be loyal to the client and not to the system. The system has enough loyalty. That's why we are in such situations that, that we are. We need independent people to be able to advocate for the moms and for the parents who have to interact with those systems. And so um, during COVID, we actually switched over to virtual labor and delivery, which was interesting, right? But it got the job done. 
Um, and so we were able to, um, you know, uh, FaceTime clients during labor and delivery because only one person is allowed in there. And so to, to have them not to um, have to choose between us and a significant other, then we just uh, opted to do virtual. I do want to go back to the conversation of like bringing the fathers in. How are we bringing the fathers in? Because I know we're, we're talking a lot about being there present for the birth and helping with, with lactation. How are we bringing the fathers into this? Because that's always been very interesting to me is, you know, we do need to consider this, the, other the other person in this equation besides the mom and the baby. But there's another person who is, who is you know, valuable in this situation. So how can we bring the fathers in? What can we do in that situation? Well, so at Birth and Beautiful, about maybe two and a half years ago, we had piloted a program called Doodla, Dude, like D-U-D-E, La, Doodla. I like that. I like that. <laughs> that was for, um, that was for dads. Um, and they would meet weekly, uh, once a week, and uh, sort of have this circle, you know, around uh, topics that were in of interest to them uh, because no one really asks the dads about what he is experiencing and what he is going through and so that was an opportunity for the dads to just talk to each other as fathers as african-american men you know having sharing the same cultural experiences um, and sort of what some of their fears were you know in terms of uh, having a baby on the way or already having some children and having another mouth to feed, you know, what does that look like with limited resources? You know, what can I do to enhance myself so that I have uh, the ability to give my child and my significant other um, the best start, right, with this birth? Because I generally think that, you know, um, the birthing process is a physical process, but it's also um, a, um, I always say it's like, it's, it's, it's literal, but it's figurative at the same time because, you know, birth in general just means new, right? Rebirth, uh, uh, transformation, death of uh, old way, right? This is a new child coming into the picture. And so I have yet to meet a parent that doesn't want the best for their child. You know, now whether or not they can give that to them is another story, but I've never ever met a parent who said, I don't want the best for this baby that I'm about to bring into this world. And so for the dads, um, and as it relates to the Survive and Thrive Project, out of that pilot, we got to see what the, um, average education level attainment was. We got to see what the average uh, annual income was, um, the number of children. And so all of these factors, you know, sort of went into this thinking um, for me in terms of, well, how do we build up a bigger like economic infrastructure um, that is for uh, African-Americans or African-American businesses that has an emphasis on dads who generally are more likely to be service providers, you know, who might do hands-on sort of things, whether that's construction or, 
handiwork or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but being able to have a opportunity to have a business because then we can bring it to another system that another system that impacts infant mortality, and that is the criminal justice system. And African American men are more targeted for arrests, false accusations, um, and to be jailed um, than any other ethnic group. And so that has a direct impact on infant mortality because if you are constantly taking men out of the community, then who is there to support the women? So then the women have to go and work two or three jobs to support the children, right? And then that leads to the possibility that she won't be able to breastfeed because she has all of these other responsibilities, plus she has these additional stressors, right? And so I understand that our society in a way has been conditioned to find work or employment, but we know that there is discrimination. You know, there is civil rights laws, but you know, discrimination is discrimination. And, and, and so my stance on it is, you know, we have to be able to create infrastructure that supports the African-American male. You know, if we know that the justice system in a lot of ways has been very unjust to a group of people, then we are still holding the individuals more accountable for having a record, right? For having felonies, for um, you know, having criminal backgrounds, which, by the way, I want to say that uh, even last year, the uh, DOG, Department of Justice, that published a study that talked about how it's not even that African-American men are more likely to commit a crime, because that's not true. African-American men actually are less likely to create a crime, but uh, to uh, commit a crime, but they are more likely to be suspected and arrested for a crime. And so the exoneration rate for African-American men is like out of the roof, which means that this person didn't actually commit this crime, but was arrested and jailed for this crime. So again, these systems were never designed for African-American people. And so that has a big impact on the relationship a father may have with his child, right? And I can speak for personal experience too. So, and I wanna be very clear that I suppose why I'm so passionate about this work in general, because it's not just, it is about the babies, but I don't think that people really understand how interconnected all of the systems are to this baby. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But even through my personal experience, I had to do a, a writing assignment for a class that I was uh, taking. Um, and we had to sort of tell this personal story. And I hadn't even thought about this story in a long time. Well, my dad was uh, 22, I, I mean, my dad was 18 when I was born. And so by the time he was 23, he had went to um, prison. First offense, he, he was sentenced five to 15 years. His first offense. The first conscious memory that I have of my dad was at his father's funeral. And I hadn't seen him, I'm, I'm five at the time. So of course I've seen my dad before, but this first conscious memory that I have of him is him getting out of the sheriff's uh, car shackled from his hands to his feet, attending his dad's funeral. Now, this was in 1990. So this was behind the crime, uh, well, sort of an iteration of what later became the crime deal, right? Mm -hmm. 
this is a time that if you were caught with crack cocaine, you received a harsh sentence, which we know was more prevalent in African-American communities versus cocaine, which was more prevalent in white communities. And there was like a slap on the wrist for cocaine. But somehow this first time offender received five to 15 years mandatory. So my father wasn't in my life uh, for until I was seven or eight, right? Until he came home. So um, in the stress that my mother was under for having now to raise a child on her own, um, lack of employment and all of these things that had happened within the African-American community, which I grew up in the Huff community, so, or Huff neighborhood. So anyway, I recently talked about this uh, situation, that memory with my dad, and it brought him to tears to think about this time that was missing in his child's life. You know, okay, let's say he made a mistake, fine, but is it worth five to 15 years of your life, right? So again, we are then talking about men who are the fathers of these babies who have had similar experiences, right? Who have had similar experiences. And so the undue stress that that puts upon the women in the community is then one of those factors that then lead to um, stress within utero that can cause prematurity. The, the, the stories you tell the, um, that you share personally and of your clients, what BBC does, you know, I hear, I hear a, a lot going on here, right? There's, there's broad uh, systemic issues that you're dealing with and multi-system issues that you're up against. There's um, individual um, challenges that you, you have to um, address. I, I kind of want to think of the college perspective in, in, in kind of um, helping community, right? We're CSU is an anchor institution. We live and breathe in Cleveland and it's the work that we do. It's where we are. And, and for a lot of us, it's, you know, who we are. Um, and, you know, we've always talked about things like workforce, right? And it was like training and retraining. And then it's higher education and getting a degree for a better life. Then, it, then it's sort of this K through 12, um, you know, or, or P16 kind of thing, right? Preschool through, through college. But you're really talking about from, you know, birth to, to death here, right? You're talking about from the moment uh, a, even like a human being, right, a human being yeah. is conceived till, till mm -hmm. the very end and, and all of sure. and the spectrum of, of systems that they interact with. And I kind of want to go back to the research project, Survive and Thrive, but I want to think about this from that window of time. You talked about parents every parent you've ever encountered, right? Everyone wants the best for their child. And, and you're talking about what I hear you saying is doing whatever you can to provide the best from day one, right? Let's, let's try and do that. Because it has broader societal impacts, economic and societal impacts than just what's on that individual. So the research project Survive and Thrive, that's part of uh, this broader third frontier funding and a, and a pretty big investment. And you mentioned that at the beginning of this podcast. What are you guys doing? What do you hope to learn? And how is that going to help you help these individuals in our community? Yeah, so um, Dr. Celeste Collins, who works in a, a school of social work, who is a part of this project uh, Survive and Thrive and she's the evaluator 
she uh, actually did Birth and Beautiful Communities evaluation for 2019. And so we had a chance to evaluate the program from a quantitative standpoint, but also from a qualitative standpoint as well. And so, you know, the women found the program to be transformational based off of this report, you know, around the support that they were given, being able to call somebody, being able to relate to someone, you know, just not feeling alone. Um, and the quantitative data show that our outcomes were really, really good, right? You know, having done this, I think by 2019, we were in our official maybe fourth year. Um, and, you know, from, we had the, high, the highest breastfeeding rate of African-American women, not only in the city, in the county, but nationally. Um, we had the uh, lowest prematurity rate for African-American women. We had the, um, the lowest cesarean rate for African-American um, women. And then there were some other factors such as low birth weight and things like that, right? So we already showed that the way in which we do this work, the model, uh, the perinatal support pipeline, the social risk assessment, you know, the tools that I've created that we use um, within an organization works for African-American women, right? But here's the, here's the catch 22 to always tell people, see, because the systems in our society have not been designed for African-American women, when you create something that works for African-American women, it actually works for all women. So it just so happens that, you know, this, this sort of fight that society has put out there to kind of be so exclusive you know, has um, created this gap and this need to the point that sometimes systems don't even work for white people either because it's just such this, this, this push-pull effect. And so- We all pay a price. We all pay a price, we do. And so, you know, and that was something that we figured out along the way was that, hey, this actually works for everyone because we don't exclusively serve African-American women either. So, you know, the vast majority of women that we serve is, are African-American women, but even the women who are not African-American women have good outcomes as well um, with, within the program. So we took sort of that evaluation and then um, thought, okay, well, what if we are able to kind of like scale this? So that's about what the research is because in, in the state of Ohio, there are nine what they call OEI, which is Ohio Equity Institute counties, that these these counties have the highest infant mortality rates in the state. And so we've done this in Cuyahoga County, we've done this in Summit County, but we wanted to test this in terms of putting this um, these models on a app um, so that if we are able to scale this then these other counties can follow this app, the same app, the same model, and hopefully get the same outcomes or better outcomes. So that's sort of what we are researching, right? And so this is just the first phase of creating those, creating that app. And it can be customized, you know, in terms of the classes, um, the social risk assessment can't really be customized. We have been working to perfect that a little bit more. Um, 
but it's designed again so that there is a clear pathway from what we call the perinatal support pipeline from the time you enter the program until we celebrate your baby's first birthday. There should be, there are checkpoints and milestones and classes depending on your, your risk level that you have to take um, and, and in order to help us achieve the desired outcome. So the uh, other app, which is called Bib, that app is uh, really around the economic infrastructure, specifically for service uh, providers, because one thing, and this is, uh, and I can only speak from an African-American community standpoint, that's my experience. There are so many people that I know who are like service providers who are just in our, my, my neighborhood and my community, but you won't see them posted on Instagram. You won't see them listed in some directory. <laughs> you won't see them in these uh, spaces, uh, but they exist. And within the community, I can call them, right? I, you know, it's, it's not a problem. You know, for instance, my son's, my son's their barber. He isn't on social media at all, right? But he's always busy you know, with clients because it's just a community type of deal, right? We just call him. He cut he cut he cuts hair in the base in his basement. He's licensed. You know, he used to have his own shop, but he moved into his own house. And so there's this niche market that we overlook consistently, um, particularly for African American people and businesses because a lot of times we've just had to do things under the radar because again, these systems require so much of things that you may not have or know about. It's too complicated. I mean, as we know, Molly and what I just found out too, as we were working through the National Science Foundation <laughs> proposal, right? <laughs> as to what I call the shakedown, right? Like it's purposely complicated so that not too many people get through, right? And so, <laughs> That's sort of how, that's exactly how systems are designed for African-American people, right? I mean, that's the justice system, right? That you have yeah. to be a lawyer to understand the justice system and how it works and all the yeah. jargon. And even in academia, you have to speak or have to know the language to understand in and outs of academia. So, yeah. Absolutely. And so, and here's the difference what it makes for African-American people and then you can also put say people of color is are we likely to have a lawyer in our family or even know a lawyer you know are we likely to have a dean or someone in academia in our family or know someone I'm a first generation uh, college student graduate I didn't know any people in academia or lawyers. Now I know a lot of lawyers and academia people, but I didn't before. There would be no one that I could call if I needed some advice or some being able to move through those, navigate through those systems. There would be absolutely well, no one I could call. And that's, I mean, I think that's a really important point because you were just talking about the sort of informal economic kind of marketplace right, in, in communities, in, in the African-American community, but you're also talking about that informal network mm -hmm. that people have access to. 
-hmm. of having a lawyer in the family, of having a doctor in the family, of having a teacher or a professor, and you, you can turn to for insight and information and help navigating those systems and understanding how they work. Um, but that's often not available to so many of us. So, um, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of coming up on time here and I, and I, and I want to kind of get back to one thing that I think was really important that you said, and, um, I've, I, you sort of know it, uh, logically, uh, and intellectually, but to sort of feel it and, and understand it sort of from a more personal perspective, you talked about the health of community and the health of African-Americans specifically. And if, and if the, 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 the sort of greatest indicator of that is dying as an infant, right? Our community isn't healthy, but that, that systemic racism and overlooking of people and not providing those resources eventually affects us all. It impacts us all. So I kind of, I, the last question I would like to ask you is what do you see or when do you know that we're on our way to doing the right thing, that this is getting better? The health of our communities, the health of our people, the health of babies in Cleveland. We can judge that by the Black infant mortality rate. Um, if we see significant improvement in that number, then that is the indicator that um, we are on the right track but that is not going to happen without us being honest you know without us understanding our history and i mean our history as a country and then also history beyond our country too globally um and because there are very significant factors in this i mean there are african people in the UK, for example, you know what I mean, are suffering with some of the worst data and statistics, you know what I mean? And so, but I know in our country specifically, we have to be honest. We have a really big problem with being honest. We actually have created a culture of dishonesty and we have accepted that culture of dishonesty. And because we have accepted that, it's very difficult um, to change, right? And, and people are very resistant to change because, you know, change doesn't look familiar. And so even though we know that we have all these issues and we have tons of programs that have been around for so many years and there's been so much money that's been invested into these different social issues um, and much of it doesn't change. And that's because we keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, because we want to save face or we want to look like we're doing something without actually doing something. Um, and it won't change if African-Americans have to continue to be dependent on systems that were not created for them in the first place. You know, we miss that very important factor a lot, you know, and I know like we say, even when we say systemic racism or we say racial equity, it's so broad that we don't actually do a good job at defining it, I, in my opinion, right? So even when I do speak on it, which I don't really speak on it, but if I have to speak on it, I will speak on it to say that 
we have to understand that what systemic, what we call systemic racism is actually white America creating policies and systems for white America, right? It really was just, hey, we run this and so we're gonna make things that work for us, right? That's what every cultural community does. The issue is that African-Americans didn't do the same thing or didn't have the opportunity to do the same thing. However, the case is, could be a, a case of opportunity for sure. But, at the, the, but the reality is those systems were just never created for African-American people and not even HBCU, like, you know, we, we get into this thing where we'll say, oh, well, where's some HBCUs? Yeah, but HBCUs were created by white America. That wasn't something that <laughs> African-Americans created. You know, Rockefeller funded uh, Spelman, his wife, and you know what I mean? So, and, and, and uh, Booker T. Washington did a lot around um, creating like Tuskegee University and, and things like that. So uh, even these systems they, they have still this overlay of white America on it. It's still not exclusively for African-Americans and that and the culture. And so until we have a better understanding of systemic racism, and I, and I think the, okay, the most recent example I gave was redlining because, you know, we, we, here's the Urban Studies College. So I'm gonna talk about redlining really quick in 30 seconds. We talk about it a lot. So let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep this conversation going. <laughs> so basically we, we talk about it in a sense where we say, okay, well, African-American people and people of color were denied loans and there was this map and, you know, and, and it showed people where not to sell and so forth and so on, which is very true. But what we don't talk about is that if there were more black owned banks at that time, then more black people would have loans, right? Because especially in that time frame, it definitely didn't make sense for white banks to, they, of course they didn't want to loan to black people. Of course, you know, that's a given. Right. But there was, there was no emphasis put behind, you know, um, well, we have to build black banks, but there have been, and we know what happened, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, so there is a lot of fear that's associated with African-Americans building infrastructure and systems that actually work for them. This is something that America fears or the fear could be even harbored within African-American culture and community itself because there have been true consequences for building infrastructure and systems that work for African-American people that, and the consequence in the most cases has been death, you know? So again, we have to be honest about what systemic racism is, what racial equity looks like. Racial equity in my mind means the advancement of groups who have historically been, you know, oppressed, uh, stripped of opportunity or whatever it's not this anti-racism sort of speech that we talk about, right? It, it's, it's, it's not that. I think that it's important for, every, for people to become aware, but trying to change the hearts and minds of people, is, that's gonna take too long. And babies are dying today. Right. So I don't have time to change the hearts and minds of people. I do have time though to build systems and programs and projects and infrastructures that work for the people who are most affected by the issue. 
I, I think that's that's the most important part is that I, I think that's what's really standing out is that we have a lot of work in front of us, but the first thing that we really need to focus on is the babies and saving as many as possible and saving the lives and, and bringing that health back to the community because it's a ripple effect, right? We start with saving babies and then move forward. So I really appreciate it. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to give us? This has been truly enlightening. I can finally answer that question of why is it that we have such, you know, I, I kind of knew the answer, but um, I, I love this program. So any final thoughts? And then I definitely want you to give out all your information because I really feel like everyone should have this information on where if they would like a doula um, and birthing beautiful community where they can get the information and the Thrive app and everything like that. Sure, my last comment will just be because someone alluded to it earlier about us uh, in Cleveland being around world-class healthcare mm-hmm. um, is that uh, infant mortality is 80% of social issue and only 20% a clinical issue. There's literally only so much the clinical community can do about that. And I know that they are easy target to blame, right? Because then we see a lot of reports around the mistreatment of African-American women in the hospital systems. And that's very real. But what I'm saying is that's only a small percentage of what is actually happening. What's actually happening are, are those larger pieces that I talked about, right? Criminal justice system, the education system, you know, even higher education or, or, you know, just along that spectrum and the generational trauma that African-Americans are experiencing that we have never been given the space to heal from. Um, and so those are social issues though. And so, um, but yeah, so that's what I have to say about that. I'm Kristen Farmer. If you want a, a perinatal support professional, you can go to birthandbeautiful.org. The number is 216 216- Three zero seven one five three eight. That website again is birthingbeautiful.org. Um, if you are interested in speaking with me or getting to know more about Strategize Me, that works on the larger issues that impact birth and outcomes, um, my email there is Kristen C H R I S T I N at strategizeme.com. And I'll make sure to put all this information in either the description below on YouTube, or I believe in Spotify, there's also a description box and we will um, have all that information on there. Kristen, this has been so enlightening. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing for the babies and the moms and our community. Let's, we're going to get it back to being health, healthy one day, right? Hopefully soon. All right. Well, thank you so much. And this ends our podcast. Please like and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, please share this. Let's, uh, we need to get the word out on all of these things. And again, if you need anybody, the descriptions are the information is in the descriptions, but thank you guys so much and have a great day.